for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, welcome back. We're into the third hour of this live broadcast, and uh, yet the British Prime Minister has resigned. Uh, thank you, Basil Valentine, uh, on the previous segment for that amazing analysis uh, in in the way that only Mr. Valentine can do for British politics. Certainly, they're in turmoil now. And what's interesting about that story is that the the, the short-lived, shortest ever British Prime Minister in history, Liz Truss, the former Foreign Secretary, she was a big champion of NATO's proxy war against Russia. Uh, she was a big champion in escalating the Ukrainian conflict. She was a big champion of sanctions. She banned RT from the airwaves uh, in in Britain, sanctioning journalists and all these things, unprecedented moves. Uh, and then she was catapulted into the Tory leadership. And just like that, a couple of weeks later, she's out. Uh, so that didn't work out too well. We'll see how that develops. But the, the, the war marches on. And right now, uh, the U.S. midterms are looming large. And so uh, our next guest will be able to hopefully shed some light on what's going on with Washington. And we're going to bring on former CIA analyst Ray McGovern, uh, who's also a member of Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity. Um, he served many U.S. presidents. Uh, many, too many to list here. <laughs> he might list them, but uh, Ray McGovern's on the line right now. Ray and Ray, before we start, uh, thank you very, very much for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, we appreciate your your time on this and uh, to help give us a little bit of perspective of where Washington is right now in the run up to the midterms. Is it safe to say, Ray, that you have to interpret a lot of what you're seeing? noises you're seeing in the U.S. mainstream media, noises you're hearing from politicians. You have to interpret it through the lens of the upcoming election, i.e., the war is going really well, the Ukrainians are winning, etc. These are all very important impressions to make on American voters ahead of the elections. Would you agree with that assessment? I would, Patrick. As a matter of fact, uh, Vladimir Putin himself has made a big point of the fact that U.S. foreign policy is really a creature of its domestic politics, that it's fashioned with a view towards things precisely like the midterms coming up in just three weeks now. Uh, if I were Putin, however, <laughs> I would I'd have a lot of trouble figuring out how to affect these elections. Um, I don't think that they matter a lot to Putin right now, I think he's decided on a course. Uh, he's going to do it gradually, and uh, it probably won't go into full swing until after the elections, but it will do that. And whoever uh, wins the House and wins the Senate will have a little relevance uh, to what he does. Uh, he's going to march forward. The Ukrainians are going to, well, the Ukrainians, the the U.S., NATO, Ukrainians are going to feel the full weight of uh, Soviet, <laughs> Soviet, Russian uh, arms. And uh, it's going to be a bad, bad situation because uh, 
whoever emerges victorious in three weeks is going to have to deal with a new situation in Ukraine and, and face the, the fateful decision as to whether and how to escalate. What, what, uh, what I'm a little bit concerned about, Ray, is that the amount of money they're throwing at this thing that is people don't seem to care, at least in Washington, it, it, it doesn't even register on anyone's concern, like, you know, 20 billion here, 15, another 15 billion there. In fact, you're seeing the opposite. They're saying the much needed aid package for Ukraine. There's kind of a blank check on this that I've, we, have we not, I've not seen this before. We haven't seen it in history. This, we haven't seen this type of tr- uh, rapid transfer of, money and arms and things like that since the Lend-Lease, World War II Lend-Lease Act or, you know, the Marshall Plan. Um, I know there was a lot with Iraq reconstruction, but that was after the so-called war on that. This is like in advance of a war or is this just a going to be a long-running proxy war? How, how are you looking at this this strange uh, orientation that Washington is ha- has on this? Well, Patrick, I think the most important thing I could say at this point is that U.S. foreign policy is being run by sophomores with no experience in real foreign affairs, uh, with no experience in the military, and Biden is just doing what they tell him to do. Uh, As for throwing money at things, well, we did have Iraq and we did have Afghanistan. You are quite right. Uh, The billions involved here are out of scale. Uh, But when we see what happens uh, in the midterms, if uh, inflation and other things having to do with domestic politics uh, gives uh, Biden and the Democrats a bloody nose, then we might just see some sensibility uh, injected into our attitude toward Russia. Now that is the, well, that's the kernel here. Um, as you know, Patrick, maybe your your listeners don't know so much, but uh, so much about this particular thing. But the United States people have been subjected to a propaganda campaign the likes of which I have not seen in the six decades, <laughs> count them, that I've been following U.S. foreign policy toward Russia. OK, um, they have been blackened. They are now being they are now being blamed for inflation in the United States. My God, you know? So five or six years of steady indoctrination that Mr. Putin is the devil incarnate, that the Russians hacked into our uh, election in 2016 in order to give uh, Mr. Trump the win, this has conditioned American people to believe just about anything about the Russians. So this is the scare. This is what I'm afraid of. Um, Let me put it in a more humorous way. Uh, The old American humorist of a century and a half ago, Will Rogers, uh, (laughs) he said, said, this is the the problem, okay? Uh, The problem is, the problem ain't what people know. The problem is what people know that ain't so. That's the problem. So going back to well, at this time in 2016, Obama, Hillary Clinton, and the others set up a Russiagate um, 
Well, it's a campaign that has never expired. Uh, what we know, let me just let me just insert a, a, a kind of specific detail here. All right, um, the big thing was Russian hacking, right? The Russians were supposed to have hacked the Democratic National Committee uh, and uh, exposed the emails uh, that indicated, quite simply, that Hillary Clinton had stolen the nomination from Bernie Sanders. Those were uh, published by WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks was not blamed so much. It was blamed on the hackers. And who were the hackers? Quote, the Russians, end quote. 50 diplomats were thrown out of the United States for that. And we know now from court testimony that Obama knew that that was contrived, that that was a synthetic thing. We know now that Hillary approved these bald-faced lies about Russian hacking. And we know from court testimony going back, get this now, going back four years and 10 months that there was no Russian hacking of the DNC. As a matter of fact, no one hacked the DNC, not the Russians, not anyone else. How do we know that? Because the head of the cyber firm that James Comey of the FBI hired to look into the hacking of the DNC testified under oath on December 5, 2017, there was no technical evidence that anyone hacked the DNC, not the Russians, not anyone else. Now, what am I trying to say? That was December 5th, 2017. Did did the head of, of this cyber firm tell Mueller? Bob Mueller, who was launched on this investigation? Well, he, he had worked for Mueller for 12 years at the FBI when Mueller was the head of the FBI. You know, it defies, uh, well, I'm sure that he told Mueller. Well, why did Mueller continue to um, to propound, to propose, to second or to repeat this, this fable? Well, he, he did. Okay, so that's December 5, 2017. Okay, what happened? How do I know about that? Well, uh, Trump appointed a new director of national intelligence, okay? And he came in and he said to Adam Schiff, who is the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, said, look, Mr. Schiff, that testimony by his name was Sean Henry, the head of CrowdStrike, which is the firm that that Comey uh, hired to look into the DNC so-called hack, said, uh, Mr. Schiff, you have to release that. It's not classified. And Schiff said, no, 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 we can't do that. And the head of national intelligence said, look, it's been two and a half years You release it or I'll release it. So Schiff releases it. What's the date? The date is May 7th, 2020. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So that's 29 months between the testimony at the end of 2017 and when it was publicized in May of 2020. Well, I wrote an article immediately saying, oh, my God, <laughs> here the whole business about the Russian hack has been exposed, right? Well, I wonder how long it will take the New York Times to, to report that. And guess what? The New York Times and Washington Post, other mainstream media, so-called, have waited. How long? Another 29 months. <laughs> I kid you not. 
to re- to report it. So th- so we got a we have a problem with our uh, our our system with our fourth estate. It's not functioning in the de- in the democratic sense, and so that's key information, Ray. That should get to the people, right? So we can yeah. make informed decisions. It didn't happen. That's it. So you know. When you have four years and 10 months, you put 29 months times two, right? And the people still don't know that they were sold a bill of goods, that the people who who, uh, pushed this rumor did so to prevent Trump from becoming president and then to emasculate him when he was president so he couldn't do anything with respect to Russia. Uh, People don't know that. So it's old Will Rogers again. It ain't what people know. It's what people know that ain't so like Russian hacking. You do a little survey, uh, Patrick, and see if it's not still the case that 80% of the American people are convinced the Russians are responsible, not only for the hacking, but for Donald Trump. And I have to tell you that (laughs) if you're going to blacken somebody uh, in the worst possible way, in my view, all you have to say is that they're responsible for the four years we had to endure at the hands of Donald Trump. Yeah, and also that that his election was somehow uh, illegitimate, or that there was meddling from a foreign power, and in you know, all this sort of stuff, questioning the election, all the things that they're raising Kane about with the 2020 election. You're called an election denier, of course, if you ask any questions about anything that happened. But that was all fair game for 2016. But what's interesting is your group, the Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity, had proven this case forensically for digital forensics. Uh, before this as well. So you so you know you probably have a lot more certainty that that testimony by Sean Henry was accurate because you also know a lot about the digital forensics case that could that you so you effectively you and your colleagues more or less proved that before that testimony was public, correct? That's correct. As a matter of fact, on December twelfth 2016, mind you, uh, the, let's say, the veterans of uh, the National Security Agency, NSA, that have joined veteran intelligence professionals for sanity, uh, did a technical review of the evidence. And we said at the time, all of us signing on the dotted line, again, December 12, 2016, that they could not have been a Russian hack and it could not have been undetected. So the technical evidence indicated there was no hack. We would have known if there were a hack and uh, the technical uh, vicissitudes were outlined in some detail, including charts. What kind of charts? Charts that Ed Snowden revealed in Hong Kong, showing not only what would happen if they hacked, but all the trace routes that would be available to NSA to show that they'd hacked. So it was a, it was what we in the Bronx used to call, it was a crock, okay? Uh, the problem is people still believe it. Now, you know, Patrick, um, <laughs> I have to tell you, my wife is uh, still talking in my ear here. She said, Ray, for God's sake, tell them how you feel about 
Donald Trump. And <laughs> so here it is. I feel feel that he was, I've been saying for years, he was the worst president the United States ever had. Of course, the proof is in the pudding with the J- uh, January 6th testimonies. But, you know, we intelligence analysts have to, have to sort of tell it like it is. Now, that's the story on 2016. Now, was there interference in 2020? You bet your derriere there was. Who was it? The mainstream media, in cooperation with representatives of the deep state, CIA, FBI, and so forth. What happened? Well, it was revealed by uh, Hunter Biden's laptop that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden were, were collecting millions of dollars from the Chinese and others. What happened? Well, the mainstream media got 50, mind you, 50, five, zero retired intelligence uh, shepherds, uh, senior officials, who said, ah, this bears all the earmarks of a Russian disinformation campaign. Bull. You know, they, they didn't call you, did they, for your opinion to, <laughs> to sign on that document? I, I don't think they did. No. So what happened? Well, they played that. And what at YouTube and the other they, they they for Pete's sake, they they prevented the New York Post, for God's sake, the oldest extant newspaper in the country from going on and publishing this stuff. So that was just weeks before the twenty. 20 election. I don't know what would have happened if it turned out that uh, President Biden uh, was exposed in this way. But there you have it. Now, interference, of course, is interference. It depends on which side you're on. It doesn't depend on where the truth lies. That's our job. And we don't get any media play. No, absolutely. If they had called you and uh, William Binney for your opinion on that, uh, you would have at least had a dissenting opinion attached to that intelligence uh, consensus. Look, we're going to take a break here quickly with the network TNT Today's News Talk. I'm here with uh, former CIA analyst Ray McGovern. Uh, we're talking about e- U.S. policy with Ukraine and beyond. Uh, we'll continue this thread after these messages. TNT Radio's Jason Olborn. The World Health Organization being short of a headline has earned another one today because they have warned of a COVID surge. Oh, why not? Infection cases appear to be spreading in Europe. The UN Health Agency warns Europe is likely to be entering yet another wave of COVID-19. The World Health Organization and the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control have said urging the region to act immediately. What, after three years and what are we up to? Vaccine number four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. How high can you count? And well, you know, it's still going. Of course it is because, mate, the vaccine doesn't work. And maybe what you need to do is get your heads out of the sand and into some other therapeutics. And as we've learnt this week out of New South Wales Health Statistics and the wonderful ARC Medic Substack doctor who's done the research, if you have four vaccines in New South Wales as opposed to zero, you are now at a negative 147% efficacy. That's right, you're actually going backwards the more you have, and four vaccines is worse than three, even though they're going to tell you the opposite. And if I said this on YouTube or Facebook, I'd pretty much be um, hung and quartered in the digital world by Zuckerberg and the Google clowns. Jason Olborn and Jason Q. Citizen on TNT Radio.
Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying totally just shorter. As in I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter better way to say jealous. As in Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're um rad just the same. To learn more, visit adoptuskids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the US Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. With a compelling perspective on global politics, this is the Patrick Henningsen show on TNT Radio. All right, we're into the third hour of this live broadcast. Very pleased to be joined by a very special guest. He's a former CIA analyst, uh, one of the the few <laughs> sane analysts, and uh, also a member of Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity, a founding member. And uh, we're talking about the current predicament that America, that Washington, that the Biden administration finds itself in with this uh, increasing quagmire and commitment uh, to back up this proxy war against Russia, using Ukraine as the pitch, and uh, we've got him on the line right now. And and Ray, it's uh, it's interesting. You pointed out over the break uh, that today is a kind of an ominous anniversary of sorts, and of of an event that you yourself have some some personal experience with. How is this relevant to the current predicament uh, geopolitically? Well, Patrick, uh, most people don't uh, really understand how close we were to a catastrophe. Uh, You and I wouldn't be talking today uh, had President Kennedy not reacted in the way he did to the provision by Russia of medium-range ballistic missiles to Cuba. Now, what, what went on there? It was exactly... 60 years ago this month. Um, Khrushchev, the head of Russia at the time, thought he'd uh, win a march here by putting medium-range ballistic missiles and some bombers and bombs into Cuba, and he succeeded in doing that to the surprise of everyone, including the CIA. (laughs) Now, CIA bragged later that they discovered them problem was that they had been saying for months before, Russia would never, never try to do that because they know how he, we would react. Classic case of mirror imaging. Anyhow, they were discovered, okay? They were discovered 60 years ago last week, and President Kennedy was briefed. What does this mean? Well, Mr. Mr. Kennedy, these missiles can reach not only Washington, D.C., but Omaha, Nebraska, where the Strategic Air Command is located. How, how, how quickly? Um, minutes, uh, uh, Mr. Kennedy, minutes. Are, are they armed? Do they have the nuclear missiles on? Uh, nuclear warheads on them? Uh, we don't know. We assess that they're not. Okay. So that's the intelligence that Kennedy was given to play with. 
What did he do? He put a quarantine, which is a fancy word for a blockade around Cuba. Whoa, wait, wait a second. That's an act of war, isn't it? But well, he did anyway. And then he threatened nuclear war. Well, you're not supposed to do that under the UN Charter, but he did that anyway. And what did he do? He sent all kinds of troops and weapons down to Key West, Florida, just 90 miles off the shore of Cuba, and they were ready to go. You're not supposed to invade other countries, but he did it anyway, okay? Now, just a personal vignette here, uh, I was uh, I was commissioned on graduation from college, but my tour of duty was not to start until the 3rd of November, 1962. Mark that, 3rd of November. When I got to the Army Infantry Training Center, there were no weapons there. <laughs> there were no weapons in the Army Infantry Training Center at Fort Benning, Georgia, we learned later they were all where? In Key West, ready to go, okay? So long story short, this was real. Now, what did Khrushchev do? Well, he looked, they said, well, it was a good try. Uh, let's extract a promise from Kennedy not to invade Cuba. We'll brag about that and we'll withdraw the missiles. And he did. Why could he do that? Well, it was a little embarrassing, but it was not an existential threat to Khrushchev or the Soviet Union at the time, okay? Now, what's the analogy? The analogy is Ukraine. Now, well, wait a second, McGovern. There are no medium-range ballistic missiles threatening Russia. Wrong. <laughs> you know, this is the whole thing that you don't get in the Western media. Let me just give you an example. On the 30th of December last year, so, you know, just right before the turn of the year, uh, the Kremlin made it known that Mr. Putin wanted to talk to Mr. Biden like now, right? Like now, okay? Today. <laughs> Now, Biden, to his credit, says, oh, all right, what happened? The, the Russian readout, which has not been really challenged by the U.S., said, quote, Mr. Biden, Mr. They call him, Mr. Joseph Biden said that the U.S. has no intention of putting offensive strike missiles in Ukraine, period, end quote. Big concession. The New Year's Eve was a big deal in, in, in the Kremlin. They were all rejoicing. Ushakov, uh, um, Putin's main man on this, was glowing, was, was waxing eloquent. He was saying, oh, man, this, is, this gets these negotiations, which began just 10 days later, off to a wonderful start. What happened? Well, Biden reneged. Maybe he got up the next morning and his advisor said, Joe, come on, Joe, you didn't really promise that, did you? And he said, well, yeah, I did. Well, guess what? On the 16th of January, so a little, little more than two weeks later, uh, by, uh, by, Putin's spokesman, Biskov, he gets on uh, one of these talk shows, Farid Zaharia, right? And he says, look, you're not taking us seriously. Uh, you have reneged, you're not saying anymore that you won't put medium-range ballistic missiles in Ukraine. Now, just to give you an idea, 
the capsules, the holes in the ground ready to accommodate such missiles, whether they're cruise missiles or hypersonic missiles, when the U.S. finally gets them, they're already in place in Romania. They're almost finished being deployed in Poland. And the idea is, as as uh, Putin warned at the end of December, speaking to his military, you know, if cruise missiles go into these sites and they can be put in there overnight and you slip a little disk into the computer and you change them from so-called anti-ballistic missile sites <laughs> to threatening our our establishment or ICBMs and Moscow within five to seven minutes. Whoa. So it's the same sort of parallel situation that President Kennedy faced by the emplacement of medium range ballistic missiles. The Russians call them offensive strike missiles uh, within range of Washington and Omaha and so forth. Now, this doesn't get much play in the Western media, but when it, this was uh, the 16th of January, Peskov uh, complaining about that. Long story short, uh, Putin goes to Beijing to launch the Olympics. The date is February 4, 2022, this year. And he says, you know, um, we're being diddled again. Uh, another one of these promises, not first not to move NATO one inch to the east. Now we have a promise from the president himself uh, not to put offensive strike missiles within range of Moscow and the ICBM force. And now they've reneged on that. I think we may have to invade Ukraine. Now, the important thing here, and I stress this, I'm pretty much alone in stressing this, is that I am convinced that Putin is circumspect. He's cautious. He would not have invaded Ukraine if he got a no, no, don't do that from Xi Jinping. What I think Xi Jinping said was, really? Well, you, you mean you mean invade Ukraine? Yeah, that's right. Uh, you, but you mean after the Olympics are over, right? Oh, yeah, of course. The Olympics finish on the 20th of February. 21st of February, Russia recognizes um, the Don, Donetsk and Lugansk as independent countries. They appeal for help two days later, the invasion. Now, that's really important, okay? Because I don't think that Putin would have dared do this if he didn't have the blessing from Xi Jinping. And all my Chinese specialists told me, ah, the Chinese would never violate their supreme cornerstone principle of sovereignty and Westphalia. They would never, they would never give him the go ahead. Well, they may be right. But I think the evidence in the wake of the invasion, a Chinese support, all but full-blooded, uh, has shown that the Chinese and the Russians realize that they have an enemy, a common enemy, and that for the first time ever, China and Russia are joined at the hip in a, in a virtual military alliance. That changes what the old Soviets used to call, as you know, Patrick, the world correlation of forces. Uh, the triangular relationship may still exist, that is the US, Russia, and China, but it's an isosceles triangle now. <laughs> the <laughs> yeah. mountains are Russia and China, and the U.S. has got the, the short stick on this thing, if I could say it that way. So this is really important. And whatever happens in the midterms, 
I think that with Chinese support and the support of other people like the Indians and the, and the South Africans and maybe the, the Iranians, for God's sake, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a lie of magnificent proportions to say, ah, we've isolated Russia. Uh, quite the contrary. The world has become bipolar in both senses of the word, okay? In the political sense, it's the lily-white quest, NATO, against the rest of the world. And this is, you know, I call it bipolar, not multipolar. Uh, this is it, the lily-white quest against all the rest of the world, 90% uh, of which is people of color. That's very dangerous. I hope that we rein in uh, the policy uh, conducted and form, formed by these adolescents that Biden listens to. And, and so just to be clear, just in, in this scenario today, in 2022, uh, the, the role of JFK in the Cuban Missile Crisis is being assumed by the Russian President Vladimir Putin. You could make that, you could make that analogy, couldn't you? Well, I do make that analogy. And, you know, it's not McGovern uh, sucking this out of his thumb. <laughs> you know, back in the day, as you know, Patrick, we used to read. We used to read all the, the Soviet and later the Russian pronouncements. And we used to eke all kinds of meaning out of them. Man, they can't be ignored. Now, as I said, Putin told his top military on the 21st of December 2021, last year, he said, and I quote, the MK-41 launchers, which are in Romania and are about to be deployed in Poland, are adaptable for launching what Putin calls Tomahawk, Tomahawk, Tomahawk missiles are hit. Uh, if U.S. and NATO missile systems are deployed in Ukraine, their flight time to Moscow will be seven to ten minutes or even just five minutes. I repeat five minutes for hypersonic systems. This is a huge challenge for us for our security period, end quote. Now, as I watched him make that speech, these top admirals and generals were looking at him, okay? Next sentence he said was, now that's why we need a piece of paper. We need, we can't go with our promises anymore. And they looked at him and said, this is my interpretation, okay? Because look at their faces and they say, now wait a second. Vladimir, Vladimirovich, uh, wasn't the ABM treaty written down? And how about the the, the treaty prohibiting intermediate range nuclear force? Wasn't that written down? Come on, Vladimir, Vladimir, we need more than something just written down. And that's when, that's when, well, that was the 21st of December, right? I told you already that on the 30th, Putin called Biden said, we're going to talk right away, and he extracted a promise. We're not going to put those missiles in Ukraine. Nothing was said about the ones ready to go into Poland or, or Romania. At least we're not going to put them in Ukraine. And then that disappeared from the horizon. Piskov, two weeks later, says, whoops, they're no longer saying this. Uh, Putin goes to China, gets a nihil upstart of a kind, and launches this invasion. Now, do I like invasions? Do I like violations of Westphalia? No, I don't like that. But you know, uh, friends of mine wrote a op-ed recently, say empathy is what's missing. Kennedy and Khrushchev could empathize with the fact they didn't want to blow up the whole world, right? Okay, 
Well, you know, we don't have any empathy for the predicament that we have put Putin in. And without that empathy, we have this uh, lucrative arms-making arms sales, which the military-industrial complex is, is, is really uh, squeezing uh, out all these benefits. And so Biden, you know, I wish that he were, well, anyhow, it is what it is. What the problem is that Americans have been conditioned over the last five or six years to hate Putin, to hate the Russians, to believe the very worst of them. They have no chance to have any empathy with the threat that he sees. And you're right, quite right. I see Putin in the same position as John Kennedy exactly six, 60 years ago. And we have the equivalent situation. We have somebody who is feeling an existential threat. Five minutes, seven minutes, give me a break, okay? And then we have another party that has no existential threat. And in Cuba, that was Khrushchev for the Russians. In Ukraine, it is the United States and NATO. Khrushchev had the good sense to back off. I wish I could predict what's going to happen with the U.S. and NATO, because frankly, they don't make any sense to me. They don't seem to realize the danger. So hold on to your hats. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So I, uh, I, I, my personal prediction here, Ray, is that um, the conversation's going to shift radically after the midterms if, let's say, the Democrats uh, lose the House, for instance. Uh, they'll be looking for a scapegoat. It could end up being President Biden. Uh, and there will people, people with the saner heads will use that as a signal to pivot on Ukraine and start talking about peace negotiations or winding this conflict down or something like this. But, um, your final thoughts on, on that before we, before we wrap up this segment. Well, Patrick, I would like to believe that. Um, but for me under, under current circumstances, uh, there's no evidence to support the fact that either there are sane people around that would see the light or that they have the kind of influence on Biden and his acolytes, his uh, sophomores advising him, Blinken and uh, and Sullivan. So uh, who knows what will happen in just two or three weeks. Uh, I hope it will be down to, to eventuate in some sensibility. I don't see any evidence of that, so I would have to say as an analyst, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, let's hope for the best, but you don't base predictions on hopes. Yes, yeah, I think that's a that's a good way to, to look at it going forward. So we, we're hoping for the best. Obviously, we're, we're constantly uh, uh, expecting not the best outcome, but we're hoping for the best. Uh, but we really appreciate your your input on this, your perspective, Ray. Uh, it's invaluable for our listeners. And uh, thank you again for, for joining us on TNT this week. You're most welcome, Patrick. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That is former CIA analyst Ray McGovern. Uh, look, we'll, we'll talk about this after the break. We'll continue this discussion here on TNT, today's news talk. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We'll be right back after these messages. I was scheduled for a huge climate debate in England, and then all hell broke loose. 
from Washington, D.C. This is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. In October 2022, Lord Christopher Monckton and I were scheduled to debate at a climate conference in London. The so-called Global Investment and Sustainable Development, or Green Davos Summit, was hosting a climate debate. But when word got out, all hell broke loose. The UK climate minister canceled his attendance. The minister cited, quote, unforeseen urgent government business for his decision to withdraw from the conference. Moncton and I's debate opponent, Dr. Aaron Theory, backed out of the debate. I went on One American News TV in the U.S. and explained my debate challenge. I will say this, and anyone, this is like WWF wrestling now. Listen here, I'm getting on a plane this weekend, and I'm coming to London, and I'm going to debate, and if you try to block me out, I will be there at the door. You will not keep me out. All right, that's a little out of control. That's my WF World Wrestling Federation chapter. For the Morano Minute, this is Mark Morano on TNT Radio. Messages for Shana, my mom who just finished her high school diploma. I wanted to say I'm so proud of you for finishing school. You told me it's never too late to achieve your dreams. I hope to make you as proud as you have made me. When you graduate, they graduate. Finish your high school diploma for you and for them. Visit finishyourdiploma.org to find free and supportive adult education centers near you. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. This is the Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. All right, we're into the final segment of the final hour here on TNT. What a great uh, discussion before the break with former CIA veteran intelligence professional Ray McGovern uh, giving his perspective really valuable. In fact, he listened to Ray's analysis. He was laying out a timeline. It's very important, the dates and the sequence of events. And, you know, in, in terms of the rigmarole of the political t- tossing and turning and people say, oh, that doesn't matter. That's past history. Oh, yeah, sure. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe that was seen as a threat by the Russians and the missiles being positioned there and the U.S. reversing its position. Da, da, da. But uh, things have moved on. Things have moved on. Actually, no. Actually, no. What's important is when this is over, eventually there's going to be a result. There's either going to be a war. There's not going to be a war. There's already a war, but it's either an escalation of a war or no escalation, further escalation. Whatever the case is, there's going to be a historical record. And the historical record usually does, always does, comprise of a timeline of events. And from that timeline of events and facts, you'll be able to establish who is responsible, who is at fault, who could have avoided an escalation, who's guilty of fanning the flames of war and tension. You can work that out by the timeline. And what Ray McGovern just showed you there, which is really important to understand, is that in the run-up to Russia's military intervention in Ukraine, all of the U.S. media, all of the intelligence community, all the politicians were screaming, waving their arms hysterically, saying, Russia's about to invade, Russia's about to invade. We have the intelligence, our intelligence assessment, and making it sound like it's they have these sort of geniuses working at uh, in the CIA or whatever, and they've they've assessed with high degree of confidence is the language 
that the, uh, Russia is going to invade Ukraine, and it's going to happen, and it's going to be after the Beijing Olympics. So it, it wasn't intelligence that gave them that certainty. It was the fact, and here's the important point, it was the fact that the United States did everything in its power to bait Russia into taking the final action which they took. They pushed Russia to the brink of their uh, to, to to the brink to the breaking point of all of their long-running security doctrines, treaties, and agreements. They 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 vice gripped the whole thing to the point where Russia had to. The pressure was was great inside Russia uh, with their state apparatuses, with their their national security committees, their military, their Duma where they had to act. So, of course, the U.S. were expecting them to do what they did, and everything was in place for the actions which followed that. I'm talking about sanctions. I'm talking about embargo. I'm talking about loading the ships with U.S. liquefied natural gas to Germany, ready to go, ready to go, knowing what was going to unfold and the series of events that would unfold as soon as Russia took the action that it felt it had to do to for, for multiple reasons. One, to save the people of Donbass from a bloody eight-year-long protracted civil war, uh, but also to secure their basic national security requirements in the same way as Ray McGovern most eloquently laid out in the same way that the United States had to make similar decisions and moves and, and assertive moves uh, in the wake of the Cuban, Cuban Missile Crisis, okay? It's a very clear case, very easy to understand when you frame it in those uh, terms. And again, this is, this, this is why we, we had this segment today. Um, we are hoping to be joined by another uh, intelligence professional uh, from from the UK, um, uh, but it wasn't available. We'll, we'll hopefully br- uh, bring that roundtable together later uh, at another show. But it was great that uh, we had that uh, time and undivided attention with Ray McGovern, and so he, he put it in per- into perspective there. So Putin is the is the JFK in this Cuban Missile Crisis. 60 years later, Putin is playing the role of JFK. That might seem like almost like a heresy for some people. How dare he say this? How dare Patrick or Ray McGovern assert that Vladimir Putin is somehow uh, in a similar position or assuming the, 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 the avatar in a historical sense of, of John Fitzgerald Kennedy and the Cuban Missile Crisis? How dare they make such a comparison to uh, to sully the hallowed ground of the Cuban Missile Crisis in U.S. Uh, foreign policy, geopolitical lore. How dare they? How dare they? But listen, look at the facts, folks. Look at the timeline. Look at the evidence. It's absolutely the case. It's absolutely the case. So if you're on Team America on this, you're on the wrong side of history, okay? You can be, of course, you can support American principles and values, and you can support America as a country, but you, I, 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 th- I find it very difficult to support the government's position and actions 
that they've taken here that have exacerbated the crisis, that have brought the country, Europe, the world to the brink of World War III, who are casually banding about nuclear, uh, talk of nuclear weapons and all of this stuff, putting words in Moscow's mouth, saying that, that they threatened to attack with nukes when they didn't. And at the same time saying they need to stop Vladimir Putin preemptively because Putin's surely going to launch a tactical nuclear weapon in Ukraine when there's no evidence to suggest that he ever would. That's a completely contrived, invented talking point, which you'll find across U.S. media, uh, U.K. media, uh, right across the Western world. It's almost been accepted as a fait accompli. And it's a complete fiction. It's a complete fiction. There's no... There's no basis for it. There's, there's no precedent for it. There's no Russian doctrine that says if they believe that they're losing a couple of uh, villages or they're somehow being defeated in a conventional military conflict with Ukraine or any other country, that they would lash out if backed into a corner and, and fire off a tactical nuclear weapon. There's, there's no evidence to suggest that. That's purely a fantasy talking point straight out of whoever invents these things and then funnels them through all the various editorial desks at the Atlantic, the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, LA Times, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Time Magazine, whatever. All of these sort of intelligence cut out mainstream media desks. Where do these talking points come from? Does anybody know? So th th that's what that's what we're trying to say here. This is a very serious time in history, um, and I don't think we have serious people in charge. I really don't. I, do, I don't rate any of the people. I, I I find it shocking and sad that. Well, it it's good for, it's good for what we do and for the, the this network and this show and maybe other alternative media outlets who are doing great analysis. 21st Century Wire, UK Column, and you know many good hosts on this network, that, that we are better informed, know more, and are more tethered in reality than anyone in the National Security Committee of the current President of the United States. Okay? It's sad that, that, that we have to make that categorical statement. It's sad. It shouldn't be the case. They should be better informed than us. They should be more responsible. They should be more measured. They should have a better historical perspective than us in the punditry here. But they don't. And that's sad. That's sad. I, I regret saying that. I, I lament that being the case. And I don't see anything on any of the Sunday morning talk shows or any of these sort of set pieces here in, in, in terms of what the U.S., Western media put off as their sort of flagship programming. I don't see any reassurance from any of these hosts, any of these presenters, any of these analysts. I don't see anything that's reassuring me that they're charting a sane path on any of this. They're not. They're, they're, it's, it's, there's a competition to see who can throw the most money and weapons in there. And there, there is a small ray of hope in which I, basically put at the end of this last segment with Ray McGovern, but 
there's a few Republicans um, that are pushing the boat out in terms of uh, pushing peace talks. There's the Freedom Caucus in, in Congress, Rep, uh, Representative Scott Perry, uh, Pennsylvania, I believe, and he is chairperson, I believe, of the Freedom Caucus. So he's basically pushing out the idea of laying the groundwork um, for the he wants to investigate why the Biden administration have categorically avoided any peace talks or diplomacy uh, between Russia and Ukraine. So this, I, I, I'll call this the first steps of progress here. And so there are people in the Republican Party, at least, who are criticizing Biden's approach, this the kind of full-on, full-bore proxy war approach, and saying that we have to avoid peace negotiations, which is the Biden policy. Don't negotiate don't bring anyone to the peace table, which is unprecedented in U.S. history. Even when the U.S. want to prosecute wars, they at least go through the motions of pretending to have a diplomatic process, you see. Here, they've basically just you know ignored all of that. They, they've abandoned even the pretense that they're pursuing peace. So this is why this is different, which is why it's disturbing. It should be disturbing to, to people. Because instead, they're pumping weapons in to Ukraine and, and all of this sort of stuff. So GOP senators, all the Hawks, Rubio, Tom Cotton, and all these people, uh, Mike Pompeo on the sidelines, they're, they're all shilling for the defense industry. That's all they're doing. They're playing the role of John McCain. That's all they're doing. So they, they, they want to speed up weapon sales, et cetera. So Meanwhile, and so the media is, is 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 screaming and blathering that MAGA-aligned Republicans are demanding that Kiev enter negotiations to avert the risk of nuclear escalation. Now, that's a sane approach. And so I have to say, yeah, I like what Scott Perry's pushing here. So the question is, is this idea of this minority in Washington of what looks like sanity is that going to catch on? Is that going to get traction? Certainly, if there's any Ron Paul acolytes, either in office or running for office, they should be paying close attention to this. I'll tell you why, because Scott Perry will be on the right side of history, whether there's a nuclear war or not. You see, that, my friends, is the hard, cold fact of it all. And those of you who consider yourself Ron Paul Republicans, or sane Democrats, or reasonable GOP moderates, you will also be on the right side of history if you are right now calling for peace negotiations. Whether there's a nuclear war or not, you, will, you and only you will be on the right side of history. Your objections will be recorded and logged. Your protestations will be recognized in the record if there's any uh, uh, Western civilization left after all this, okay? So that's that's an interesting, uh, I would say, that's an, inter that's an interesting development. What's more interesting is that he's being attacked by these animals at Axios and these other fake mainstream media deep state rags, okay? People like this, or calling, anyone calling for peace negotiations being attacked, uh, vilified, uh, demonized, and poked fun at. Yeah? So so that's, that's the way things are. That's where we're at. That's where things are in Washington. That circus will continue. 
will continue to be the Barnum and Bailey show that it is. Oh, midterms coming up, all the rest of it. Anyway, we'll see you guys uh, later on on Thursday. We'll have something interesting for you uh, and next week, Tuesday and Thursday. So stick around. Anyway, take care, you guys. All the best.